Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So whether you are married with kids, divorced, a grandparent with grandchildren, a widower, or an unmarried man, what we all have in common as men is that at one point in our lives, we have all been bachelors, that is, an unmarried man. It's funny, we don't really refer to unmarried men as bachelors anymore. Now, we also don't talk about unmarried women as spinsters. We're going to talk about why today. Well, what's fascinating is that even though all men have been bachelors at one point in their life, there isn't a lot of history or sociology written about the culture of bachelorhood that grows up around unmarried men. Because it's different from the culture of married men or grandparents or divorced men. It's completely different. I found a few books. One of my favorite is by Brown history professor Howard Chudikoff. It's called The Age of the Bachelor, Creating an American Subculture. And in it, he explores the history of bachelorhood in America, starting in the colonial days of America, going all the way to late 20th, early 21st century. But a big portion of the book is dedicated to the culture of bachelorhood that sprung up during the late 19th, early 20th centuries. And it was during this time that bachelors, American bachelors, and companies catering towards bachelors created what a lot of the culture, a lot of the aesthetic, what, what we consider old school manly today. So facial hair, like mustaches and the big beards. So big during that time, American bachelors were pushing it. The barber shop exploded during the late 19th century, early 20th centuries. Saloons, billiards halls, gambling became huge, and it was all because of American bachelors. Popular men's magazines first got their start during this time. They were driven by and catered to American bachelors. Sports were huge, particularly boxing, baseball, and football. John L. Sullivan, the bare-knuckle pugilist that is at the top of the Art of Manliness header, he was a huge American celebrity during this time, and he was considered the king of the bachelors, even though he wasn't a bachelor for most of his life. So yeah, a lot of stuff we think of as old school manly was started by bachelors during this time period. So today on the podcast, Professor Chudikoff and I are going to discuss this golden age of bachelorhood and its influence that we can still feel today on American masculinity. If you're a art, longtime Art of Manliness reader, you love the whole old school man thing, you're really going to enjoy this podcast because you're going to find out a lot of great insights about where this stuff that you like sprung up and got its start. So without further ado, Professor Chudikoff with The Age of the Bachelor. Howard Chudikoff, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you published a book a few years ago called The Age of the Bachelor. And a few years ago, I did a series of articles on the site about the, the cultural history of bachelorhood in America. And in my research, I was surprised how few books there were on the topic and still are. 
Uh, and yours is one of the, the few. I think there's like two others that I found. Why, are, why haven't historians or anthropologists or sociologists, why have they looked into this subculture or this, um, this uh, of, of, of America? Um, I don't know. I can't speak for them, I guess, because they didn't think that it was a popular enough topic or somehow. I mean, I think other stages of life have attracted more attention, maybe because people thought they were more consequential, whether it was uh, adolescence or infancy or old age. Um, And of course, bachelorhood is tied up with issues of gender and and maleness that you were interested in. Um, And women's history and women's culture, I guess, was uh, far more uh, attractive to a number of historians. So uh, I'm not really sure. I guess those are what answers I can think of. Sure. Well, in your book, um, you call bachelors both a, uh, a subgroup and a subculture. Um, mm-hmm. What's the difference between the two, and how does bachelorhood in America fit those two definitions? I'm not an anthropologist, so I'm very using I'm using these definitions very loosely in these concepts. So I probably uh, am open to criticism on that. You know, a culture is often uh, described or defined as a way of life of, uh, of a group of people, their values their symbols, their beliefs that they pass on almost automatically from one generation to the next. And the subculture of bachelorhood is one that exists within male culture, and I guess that I call it a subculture because maybe it uh, does not adopt all of the values of male culture, uh, and therefore is a subgroup within it. And I guess I'm maybe interchanging the uh, the term subgroup and subculture. I don't recall how often I use the term subgroup, but maybe I did. I can't remember for sure. Well, you, you raise an interesting point because uh, throughout the book about that um, bachelorhood is a, a subculture of male culture and that there was a yeah. tension between bachelors and married men. And um, I mean, what was that tension? Was it a tension about what it meant to be a man? Did, were bachelors seen as was, less of a yeah. man? I think it was not less, behavioral in some ways, and that is there's always pressure on men and women to get married. It always has been historically. That's been the, uh, the standard uh, way of going through adulthood. So there's tension there, not that bachelors were necessarily uh, opposing males, uh, married males, but uh, especially because most bachelors eventually did get married. As I said in my book, every male is a bachelor for at least some part of his life. But the bachelor subculture has always been associated with a kind of alternative and sometimes oppositional behavior that the more um, uh, settled and traditional men who are married and uh, raising families 
sometimes feel is um, too uh, deviant, too far out, too uh, unacceptable. So the bachelor subculture sometimes uh, pushes the extremes of, of behavior and in doing so um, causes some tensions between the unmarried and the married. What was the um, the status of the bachelor in early American history? You know, from colonial times up until you know the mid nineteenth century. One of the factors, of course, that affects bachelorhood uh, probably as much as any, if not more, is the marriage market. That is, in many early American uh, communities, there was an excess of men. And going over well into the 19th century, as the country moved westward, a lot of the societies and territories of the United States had uh, large majorities of men. So bachelorhood, in some uh, respects, was the consequence of there just not being enough women to marry, or at least to marry in the traditional legal way. There are, of course, lots of stories of men uh, having quasi-marital arrangements with Native Americans or uh, African slaves, but the uh, formal marriage structure was affected by these uh, sex ratios. Interesting. And and during this time, too, if I recall, uh, in early American history, there were taxes sometimes levied against bachelors, or they're called bachelor taxes. Yeah, right. Because in order to have an established community, you need to have established families that are procreating and raising a new generation. And those men who were not married, at least beyond a certain age, were deemed to be not contributing to the community in a way that was desired. So there were taxes levied against them uh, as a means to uh, induce them to marry and penalize them for not being married. Yeah, and I also think it's interesting some of the the pamphlets and and other essays put out by some of the founding fathers. Like Benjamin Franklin uh, was kind of harsh on bachelors uh, for some reason. He, He was really a proponent of the married life. I think he called them rogue elephants. Is that correct? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, rogue elephants. Uh, I mean, that really uh, goes back to what I was saying about the uh, supposed deviant behavior of bachelors, especially any kind of wild carousing activities that they might have been uh, engaging in. Uh, So uh, Benjamin Franklin called them rogue elephants as uh, these outliers of the community. Mm. So, early American history, there were probably a lot of bachelors because of the marriage market, because men were usually the first ones to arrive to a new territory to settle an area, and then the women followed a couple of years later. But it seemed like in the 19th century, middle of the 19th century, late 19th century, there was a boom in the number of bachelors. Uh, how did this, why did this bachelor boom happen in the mid 19th century? The boom in bachelors happened, I think, because marriage, the, uh, marriage was postponed. 
it wasn't that there was a big boom in the the number or proportion of committed bachelors, that is, bachelors who never married. But uh, as marriage age rose, and I'm sorry I don't have the figures at hand, um, it meant that men were, and women too, were staying unmarried for a longer period of time than they had been in the past. Now, there are several reasons for explaining the rise in the age of marriage. I like to think that it was because there were simply alternatives to marriage. That is, there were reasons not to get married because uh, both economically some men couldn't afford it, and uh, those men who could afford it uh, had diversions that kept them unmarried for a while. Remember, this is beginning of the flowering of community of uh, consumer uh, culture and the beginnings of mass entertainment the beginnings of diversions that men and women could participate in outside of marriage and uh, were uh, accepting and buying into that postponed their marriages for sometimes two, three, four, five years. Did the uh, influx or the migration to urban areas contribute to that as well? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's interesting, too, how you talked about uh, people delayed marriage this time. And I think it's funny how today we, we sort of wring our hands about how young people are putting off marriage longer and longer. But then you, if you go back to their yeah. great-great-grandparents, and they were, it's basically about the same age that people are getting married, late 20s. Um, and I guess the 50s and 60s was sort of an anomaly in American history about marriage age. Right. Um yeah, today the average age of marriage is higher than it's ever been. Um, but, of course, the circumstances under which that occurs today are a lot different in the past because there are large numbers of people who live in marital arrangements but are not formally married uh, as, you know, with licenses and and vows and everything else that uh, accompanies formal marriage. So it's a little bit difficult to make comparisons between the present and the past because of the circumstances of today of marriage couples, uh, or quasi-married couples, but not formally married couples. And so the age of formal marriage is now... Um, much higher than it had been. Now, back in the 1950s and 60s, there was, of course, pressure by society for people to get married and pressure on uh, families to have children. And primarily the um, circumstance in which children were born then was to a married couple. And um, the sooner that men and women got married, then the sooner that they would begin having children. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. 
Suit started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone if something happens to me? Well, it's so one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. 
masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. So um, let's let's go back to the 19th century. So there's all these things going on. We have um, a boom in bachelors because people are putting off marriage, an influx of young people to urban centers, urban area cities. We have the rise of mass consumerism, the rise of mass um, entertainment, mass media, and all of this sort of brewed together to create a, the bachelor culture. And you call the 19th century the age of the bachelor. And as I was reading this, I thought it was interesting that a lot of the things that we consider manly today, right? If you look at the web or if you've seen our website, we sort of like this vintage aesthetic. It came from this period of time. So what were some of the bachelor institutions that developed during this period that we still see remnants of today? Sports, for one thing. Yeah. The rise of, of mass sports and the, the rise of commercial institutions uh, like Saloons, barber shops, which barber shops are real hangouts for uh, unmarried men. Um, the boarding house that was the place where bachelors lived when they moved into the cities. Um, and uh, commercial amusements, amusement parks, and then later movie theater, movies, uh, these sorts of things were the establishments that unmarried people uh, patronized quite a lot. Yeah. And as I think you mentioned uh, pool halls as well was another. And pool halls. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I think what's interesting is that all of these, what they have in common is sort of that, again, going back to that idea that bachelors are somewhat social deviants, right? So it's saloons, pool halls, where there's lots of drinking, gambling, uh, smoking going on. Uh, these are right. sort of the institutions in it. I guess the, the tension between married men and society, rest of society increased between bachelors and them during this period? Yeah, I, I, my research uh, didn't focus on getting any hard evidence of, of that, but there are certainly hints about that, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, going back to sports too, this was the rise of professional sports. And I guess it was primarily bachelors who were participating in watching, uh, like baseball was one, and then boxing was the biggest, if I remember correctly. I think, yeah, boxing and horse racing have to include that. Yeah. And uh, baseball, yeah. Yeah. Football was primarily still a a college sport then, and there weren't a lot of uh, people in college at the time. So uh, I think it was primarily baseball, boxing, and horse racing. And then, uh, you know, speaking of boxing, uh, you know, on our website, the sort of the unofficial icon is John L. Sullivan. He became during this yeah. period, he was like America's first celebrity in a lot of ways, and he became sort of the king of the bachelors. He was in the sports world, anyway, as a celebrity. Uh, and even though he was formally married, he led a what many people would call a bachelor's life of carousing and womanizing and traveling around and brawling uh, and earning and spending money on himself and others instead of developing a family. So he's a married man living as a bachelor. Yes. Yes. So one of the, the, uh, another interesting um, topic you delved into, which I was aware of this magazine for some reason, I don't know, I, I came across a whole bunch of old copies one time, um, but the National Police Gazette. 
Oh yeah. It's a defunct magazine. But at the time it was considered the the Bachelor Bible. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. the National Police Gazette and the content that young men would find in this magazine? I described the National Police Gazette as a combination of Sports Illustrated, um, National Enquirer, and Playboy, because it focused on all three, uh, well, as well as True Detective. I mean, it started mm-hmm. off um, as an urban publication, um, publishing stories of sensational crimes, abductions and murders, and uh, even rapes and these kinds of things. Um, but in the back of the newspaper was always sporting news that um, the publisher, Richard J. Fox, expanded over the years. He even himself became a boxing promoter and even promoted some of the fights that John L. Sullivan was involved in, although he had a uh, stormy relationship with uh, Sullivan. But... Um, and then on the some of the inside pages, there were gossip stories or uh, drawings and then later photographs of what were called soubrettes that I guess we would today call uh, starlets, young, young attractive women of the stage whose uh, pictures were published simply to appeal to the prurient interests of men. There were also drawings and illustrations of these crimes against women uh, with uh, these drawings of men trying to abduct women and the women's clothing falling off their shoulders, Um, but also a lot of stories of how women took revenge against men, against cheating husbands and boyfriends and that sort of thing. Uh, So it's a fascinating publication. It's very hard to estimate how many men actually read it because the subscription figures don't tell the whole story. Uh, It was um, delivered weekly to most saloons and pool halls and barbershops in urban areas and therefore sat on the table and men who were just there to hang out or waiting for a haircut um, would read it. And so every issue had multiple readers, uh, most of whom, of course, were men. And I'm sure a great proportion of those men were unmarried men. So they were exposed to all these different kinds of uh, exciting stories and um, sporting news and all of the rest. Yeah, Richard J. Fox, well, he was a, a savvy businessman, the way he promoted that that magazine. First with the using promote promoting the boxing matches. I think for a while the National Police Police Gazette, they're the ones who determined the world champion boxer uh for a period of time. And then yeah, yeah. using the um distributing the magazine to barbershops. I think he had a section I thought was really interesting. It's like Tonsorioris, is that the word for tons- Yes, it's like the barber of the week. Yeah, barber of the week. And I guess that encouraged barbers to subscribe so they can possibly be a, the barber of the week. I think he also, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong, uh, also did the same thing for bartenders. That's correct, he, he did. I don't know, do you remember seeing it? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen that as well. And uh, Saloon keeper. 
Yeah. So if, if you're listening to this, I think that you can find some uh, facsimiles online. We did a post about it a few years ago, but some of the stories you're going to find in it, it's just, some of them are just outrageous. But some of them are just really funny. There was, they, they had this common uh, series going on about women doing manly things. So they, <laughs> they'd have an illustration of, yeah. a, of a woman wearing pants to church and every, everyone's looking scandalized, uh, women smoking, women playing baseball. And remember there also were uh, ads in the publication for male-oriented products. That's true. Both for uh, sexual uh, aids, for playing cards and gambling uh, materials, for tonics of variety of sorts, and uh, those sorts of things that were only uh, to be consumed by men. And it seems like, I guess, things haven't really changed that much, because if you go to the back of most men's magazines today, you're going to find advertisements for products that can enhance sexuality or improve virility. Same thing happened 150 years ago. Yes, that's right. Interesting. So um, what's the legacy of the age of The Bachelor? Um, Did the status of The Bachelor change during the early part of the 20th century, or did a lot of what began in the 19th century carry over into the early part of the 20th? Well, I think it, it carried over, as I said, and as you suggested yourself, in the immediate post-World War II era, with the baby boom was, of course, preceded by a marriage boom, and there were um, there was a lot of social proscription against bachelorhood and encouragement to get married. But by the time you get to the late 60s and early 70s, the the notion of the swinging single becomes far more uh, appealing in American society, and I attribute it to some, uh, to some extent anyway with the rise of popularity of Playboy, which, of course, replaced the National Police Gazette as the Bachelor's main uh, organ, the main publication, and Playboy celebrated all of those uh, different qualities of singlehood, of bachelor behavior with wine and women and sports and uh, all of the uh, sexuality and all of the rest that helped to reinforce this swinging single image of men in American society that actually hasn't really subsided, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, would it be safe to say that in the early part of American history and even up through the 19th century, bachelorhood was something that happened because, you know, the marriage market, it wasn't a choice oftentimes. Did it slowly and over time become more of a a choice? People just decided I'm going to be single and that's what I'm going to do? Well, I want to be single for a longer period of time. Yes. Right. And, And what's the status of the bachelor today? I mean, it seems like people don't, I don't think I've ever heard a man refer to himself as a bachelor. Um, No, you don't. It's interesting. Yeah. Why is Um, that? Do we just not identify with that anymore? Is it just a a word from a bygone era? I think it is. You know, I've moved on to research and other things, so I haven't given this much thought. And I'm trying to process that myself. Um, there are probably others more qualified to uh, speak about that than I am. But, of course, you know, I think it's because 
being unmarried has become much more acceptable in American society. And just as you don't hear the term bachelor used very much, how many times do you hear the word spinster used very <laughs> yeah, much anymore? You don't. So I guess they're, they've become um, pejorative. What's the word? Yeah, sort of insults that we don't use. <laughs> yeah. Politically incorrect. Yeah, politically yeah. incorrect. Well, President Chudikov, this has been a inter- fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and, and saying hello to your audience. Our guest today was Howard Chudikoff. He's the author of the book, The Age of the Bachelor, Creating an American Subculture. If you are a history buff, definitely pick up this book. It's a fun, fun read. And you can find it on Amazon.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, you get something out of it. I'd really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes or Stitcher, give us a review. Also, please share us with your friends. The more, the merrier. Your reviews, your shares, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.